Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by CARMA, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy. Um, a range of stories. I thought one of the, the really important ones was um, the big feature report by Four Corners. Last night, yeah. Yeah, last night, which so was... So we'll discuss that today. Yeah, look, I think it needs discussing. Um, it certainly does, because some, some of the issues that were in there, Geoffrey, were certainly pertinent, um, but... It's all as ever when you interview people for a story, they talk about their personal experience, and it's often a reflection of what they've been told they are. And yeah. there's certainly a lot about stigma and discrimination in there that needs to be recognised and talked about because we face that every day, do we oh, not? It's, it's a huge part of any... But when people take it in, when women take it in, and particularly yeah. as vehicles for the you know, for citizens of the future, which is what they're seen as, I feel, when you're a pregnant woman, it becomes a real issue. So it's a um, good that we need to discuss this today and perhaps some of the... Our uh, listeners might have a point of view and uh, respond, in fact, uh, to the website, Karma's website, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Send something in about what they thought about the program or what they think about our discussion. If they don't agree with us, fine. Yeah, if, if you they just do want agree to make a us, yeah, basic or comment. Or just make a comment, that's fine. It's uh, info at karma, C-A-H-M-A, dot org, dot, dot A-U. Yep. And uh, we'll reply to all and every one of your um, feedbacks. Um, okay, news from the Drug War Fund is brought to you, as I said, by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, and the co-located connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for First Nations people. Uh, we promote a broad array of services that are provided by Karma, and over the years, the amount of services seems to... Uh, and I'll elaborate on those. Yeah, continue. there just seems to be so many of them these days. Well, it's good. I mean, in the past, I think those that have even thought of um, drug users as being human beings, um, it's always been an afterthought about offering... Services that might be appropriate yeah, for them, absolutely. Let alone asking them what would they... But the kinds of projects and programs that Karma's uh, providing these days are... In fact, um, developed, devised and thought of by drug users themselves. And are, although they may not be on all day, every day of the week, they're certainly on on a regular basis and they are there as promised when they are advertised that they will be there. So I'll tell you a little bit more about them when we get there. Yeah. Yeah, I think people will be surprised how far yeah. we've come. Absolutely. Yeah. Such a lot of way. It's a long way. So, of course, we also... Um, being news from the drug war front, bring some news uh, from uh, around Australia and the ACT and also from around the globe. Indeed. And we aim to promote discussion and for people to try and educate themselves about the different approaches to dealing with the harms caused by problematic drug use in a world of prohibition. Um, that's what we've lived with since 1961 at least well that was the first major un convention Indeed. single convention on narcotic drugs yep. um ratified in 1961 and which became a, a war in fact in 1971 thank well, you president nixon <laughs> it, yeah all those photos of america's public enemy number one yeah. war on drugs <laughs> how's that going dickie <laughs> yeah well yeah not so hot 
Okay, uh, Karma provides a wide range of services, as Jeffrey's already said, such as advocacy, peer treatment support, peer education, creative arts, mentoring and referrals, and above all, Karma and the Connection, which are co-located, are harm reduction services. The Connection is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients or First Nations people. Karma and the Connection are co-located in the Belconnen Churches Centre at Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way. The drop-in centre is open from 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. The office phone number, the landline, is 62533643. So if you can't get into Karma, contact them either through the internet or just ring up Um Ring come, find out what they have to offer and whether services might be suitable for you or if you, they don't have a service that's suitable for you, they can refer you to someone who can help. Uh, Karma does provide services like advice and advocacy on opioid maintenance treatment such as methadone, suboxone and injectable buprenorphine implants, treatment for hepatitis C, um, help people overcome the impact of stigma and discrimination. Least of all, I mean, most of all, it comes from ourselves. We are very good at stigmatising ourselves. Um, we help people to access detox, rehab, and other drug treatment services. The radio show, of course, us. We're provided to you, come to you courtesy of Karma and Two Double X, of course. Karma also offers a walk-in health clinic clinic on Thursdays. It's uh, open from 10 till 2pm every Thursday with a doctor and a nurse. Peer education workshops like opioid overdose management training, um, incorporating take-home naloxone. That's on the first Tuesday of every month at the Early Morning Centre. Muragadi, which is the Connections Harm Reduction Program, uh, Peer Education Program for First Nations clients and The Fix, which is a series of one-hour workshops aiming to educate people, particularly First Nations people, in all aspects of harm reduction and the illicit, illicit drug use spectrum. Uh, people who are experiencing issues around housing, police and the courts, including Child Custody and Centrelink, for First Nations people because advocacy in those circumstances is a really handy thing, particularly for First Nations people. Um, there's an over-40s painting group on Friday afternoon run by Natasha for 40-year-olds and over, um, and I really advocate for that because Natasha is such a terrific teacher. Jeffrey and I have both been to her workshops and she's a really good teacher. Well, Taylor's extended it if he's available to Monday to, Monday to Thursday as oh, well. Oh, really? That's like all the great. equipments, you know, you know, it's where it is. And if somebody wants to come in and uh, whip up an art piece. Terrific. It's, uh, yeah. it's available there for them, yep. But if you're having problems with associated with alcohol and drug use and you don't know where to get help or even if you just want to have a chat about drug use with someone who can empathise with your experience and who won't judge you for it, give Karma a call. That's 62533643. If we're unable to help you, then we will try to find someone who can. And it's amazing how helpful it is to have an advocate 
on your behalf. Oh, it, look, you're... it's really important that so many people are so loath to speak on their own behalf because it sounds like they're whinging or they... You know, we're just not used to have, being able to ask for what we need because we're used to being treated with a nasty, judgmental, tr you know, discriminatory attitude. Mm -hmm. But if you have an advocate with you, someone who's been through it, in the same way that you have or in a similar way that you have, it makes you feel like you've got a mate and you've got strength. There is always strength in numbers. And someone who speaks on your behalf is more likely to get sympathy or empathy, if you like, from the service provider that you are confronting than if you do it yourself. So please feel free to contact Karma and get some help if you need it, or just information. Indeed. Now, well said, Marion. And um, if you feel karma can help, just call. Um, no problem from a phone call finding out if there's no, a service that we can help you with. Or... You don't have to tell us your name. We don't care no. what your name is. If I mean, we only care if you, if you want to tell us your name, that's fine. But information is free or should be and help is certainly free and it's there if you want it it's the whole point all right news from the drug war front reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from australia and around the world many of the articles featured in this program come from other sources including the mainstream media which often is uh, quite a negative um, slant the contents of this broadcast slash podcast do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and we do not promote illegal activity. However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and United Nations conventions, which we previously mm. mentioned. The first one was ratified in 1961. Um, as such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. So um, I might go to the first song. This is an old one. Uh, Gil Scott Heron from the album Ghetto Style, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. <laughs> Because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be 
see no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the point from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Churches will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry Hall, woman liberationist, and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Key, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a jump in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. All right, that was Gil Scott Heron from his Ghetto Style album and the opening track, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. Oh, it'll be live. <laughs> and I think a lot of the points, you know, a lot of the ads he's talking about, of course, from the 60s, but the essential point is well made. It you know. certainly is, yeah. Not going to happen just sitting there. All right, um, I thought we'd uh, kick into the break in the cycle um, story about uh, pregnant women use nice and some perspectives. From four Corners last night. Four yes. Corners last night, which um, you've got to... Uh, I, I think Four Corners is a stellar reputation. Um, and, of course, uh, it refers as... Well, we'll go on to the special commissioner who um, Gladys Sperger employed to um, do a task force on us. But anyway, we'll start off. Alicia always thought using drugs while pregnant would be the lowest that she could go, quote, it's the one thing I said I would never, ever, ever, ever do. And I did it, she says. I never wanted to be a pregnant drug, drug user. Uh, well, that's your bit, isn't it? No, no, that's your bit. Oh, okay, that's my bit. Okay. The 24-year-old was using when she got pregnant earlier this year. Quote, I hadn't used ice the whole pregnancy, but I, I kept relapsing and I was using cannabis. She says she was doing whatever she could to get through the day. There's a lot of stuff that's happened in the last three years that I've tried to forget about, so I was just using. I was really just surviving. But I thought, how am I going to live with myself when I have this baby and know that I used when I was pregnant? Mm. There are many women in Alicia's position. Thousands of babies who've been exposed to their mother's drug use are born in Australia every year. Frontline clinicians say there's been a clear shift to methamphetamine-like ice. Uh, methamphetamines uh, like ice in the past decade. Help can be difficult to find, almost impossible, I would have said. Quote, there's been points in my life where I've been in hospitals and I've been, like, begging or crying for help and they've just looked at me like, 
you're a worthless junkie, Alicia says. There's much shame, so much shame and guilt around it that just keeps people from reaching out and saying, hey, I'm pregnant and I need help. Alicia was lucky to get a place at Bridgehaven in Melbourne, a women-only residential rehab program run by the Salvation Army. I was a bit surprised when it came on the TV that it was the Salvation Army, but this one sounds like they've made a, a real... Salvation real... Army in Victoria has actually been really quite very um, innovative compared with issues, the rest. Yeah. They were the first to provide needle and syringe exchange. They were. They were. Uh, that... In Victoria, anyway. I Way mean, back in the day. Indeed, yeah. they were very... Um, and, in fact, the uh, the guy that was on uh, John Howard's advisory committee was actually the chair of the committee. Major Walters. Uh, Major Walton. Waters. Waters, sorry. Brian Waters um, was not... And then was actually told that he was no longer to represent the Salvation Army on issues relating to drug and alcohol. Representing John Howard. Because he was actually representing what John Howard said and that was uh, not in keeping with what Salvation believes. So Salvation Army believes. So I'm really proud of Salvation Army down there. They've done some really good stuff. Anyway, it goes on. I had to push for it really hard on the phone. This is getting access to Bridgehaven, on the phone every day crying and saying, like, please, please, hurry, hurry, hurry. It can take months to get into detox and residential rehab centres. Very few places in Australia allow women to keep their babies with them during treatment. Alicia had to travel four hours from regional Victoria and undergo seven days of detox before she could start the program. Yeah, she knew that she urgently needed to break her, they say, addiction, but I'll say dependency, before her baby girl's birth. Terry-Ann. Terry-Ann has used drugs all, all the way through pregnancies before. Quote, I couldn't stop. I was still in that bad addiction. One baby was born withdrawing from ice. There was jittering. The body would always, like, shake. She was very hard to settle. This can happen when a baby is exposed to ice late, late in a pregnancy. As newborns, they're often lethargic and struggle to wake up, or alternatively, they can be irritable and agitated. This time was different. Terry-Ann gave birth to Lockie a few months ago. Uh, for the first time, uh, for the first month to the third month of Lockie's life growing inside me, I did use, yeah. I feel happy now that it wasn't the whole way through like, other, like the other children. During the pregnancy, Terry-Ann was able to get into Bridgehaven. Unlike heroin, there's no replacement therapy for medi medication for methamphetamines. The only treatment is detox and counselling, <clears throat> which doesn't count as treatment, I'm sorry. Um, I had a 19-year addiction of weed and ice. I tried quitting a few times, been to detox three times, but never considered rehab because I thought I was too good. Clearly, I wasn't, she says. It was really hard. I was an everyday user, so I had to wean myself off it and then just, yeah, pretty much quit. Lockie is now living with her as she completes rehab. Their bedroom is down the hall from Alicia. So clearly they're focusing on people who are in this Bridgehaven treatment centre. I think that was the main focus. I yeah. think so. He's very calm, very content, and I would say I'm honestly blessed, Terry-Ann says. Lockie's my eighth, my lucky eighth. It's the first time in nearly two decades the 32-year-old has completely stopped using drugs. I used to blame myself for a lot of things, but in my eyes, it's not really my fault. Something happened to me when I was a 13-year-old child. I think we can, can 
imagine what that might have been, yeah. Which started my dependency. Or That's all I really knew. The more you take, the longer you take it, the addiction just stays there. It's a very vicious cycle. Indeed. Lockie has regular checkups with the neonatalist who's uh, carefully monitoring his development. Research shows babies prenatally exposed to methamphetamines are at a higher risk of being born preterm and tend to be smaller at birth. In the early years, they can lag behind children who aren't exposed. But experts say with early intervention, many of these effects can be overcome. Mm. So far, Lockie is hitting all his milestones. Quote, I'm feeling positive, says Terry-Ann, feeling grateful that I've come this far and able to keep Lockie with me and meet all his needs. And I think that's one of the big important points, being able to keep your child with you. I think it's vital. Because if I didn't stop when I did, I wouldn't have him right now. Next story is from Bryce. Bryce was exposed to drugs before he was born. He was living with the consequences. Now, at 19, he was removed from his... Now 19, he was removed from his parents and put into foster care at 18 months old. He says, I guess in a way they couldn't control it because of the drug dependence. But it does frustrate me, excuse me, because when I experience issues to being prenatally exposed, the frustration goes to them. Uh, the only reason I am the way I am is because of them. There's no other place to shift the blame. It's all they're doing. That's the way. Blame your parents. Their actions have had consequences that I've had to bear. They don't. As a toddler, Bryce was very small for his age. His foster carer, Stacy, took him to a paediatrician who found his growth hormone was low. He also had issues with his hindsight. Okay, no, my turn and then you. Some research shows behavioural issues can intensify as prenatally exposed children get older, especially if there are other environmental factors like family violence and poverty. Learning in schools is very difficult, says Bryce. Even at my place of work and my career, I have to be trained to do stuff and just in taking information or how I understand it, how it needs to be given to me in order for me to understand things, it's different to a lot of other people. It takes me a little bit longer. I know I'm smart and I know I can do it. It's just the way I learn is different. Okay, Bryce recently dropped out of university because he was having difficulties focusing, but he's since found a job that he loves. He credits his foster mum and a loving family home for helping him stay on track. I could have ended up incarcerated on drugs or I could have ended up in every bad path that there possibly is, he says. I've always been proud of myself because with all the issues that I've faced, if I can overcome and adapt to them, then that's a huge achievement for me. Stacey, no, yeah, you go for it. Okay, Stacey now uh, trains other foster carers to help them understand what their kids may be going through. Unlike fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, there's no diagnostic or specific funding for prenatal drug exposure. She says it's easier to turn a blind eye and it's easier to pretend that it doesn't exist, but these children, their lives matter, she says. They didn't choose to be born in the context that they have. Stigma and fear of what will happen to them and their babies often stop women like Alicia and Terry ann from getting help. Those women that do seek help don't always find services. That's so true. Yep. 
New data compiled by the Victorian Drug and Alcohol Association has found that on any given day, there are more than 800 people waiting to get into residential detox or rehab in Victoria alone. At the Women's Alcohol and Drug Service in Melbourne, Terry Ann's midwife, Elvira, cares for newborns who've been exposed to drugs during pregnancy. ICE is now the number one illicit drug they're dealing with at the specialist pregnancy services. We should be paying attention to this across the nation. This is something that happens in every community, Elvira says. Before a baby is born, the mum in this baby's life entire support system. This is this baby's entire life support system. And the more we can support a mother to reduce or perhaps even stop her drug use, the better the outcomes outcomes are going to be for the baby. It's excellent form, an excellent form of investment in the health of future generations to support women before they are pregnant and during their pregnancy. I would have thought that was self-evident. You would have thought so. Terry Ann is proud of how far she's come. I never thought I would make it, never thought I would uh, come out of addiction of drug use, never thought I would have this beautiful child in my arms, she said. I don't like to use the word perfect, but he's pretty perfect. Yeah. Oh, Alicia knows her drug use um, in the early stages of the pregnancy may have had some effects on her daughter and I'll have to live with that, she says. But this baby girl seems to be very strong and she's made it this far and I feel like she'll make it to the end and we'll be okay. We're in the right place. Um, if you want to watch the repeats, ABC iView is the place to go and I strongly recommend having a watch it, uh, it, indeed no matter whether you agree with it or you disagree with the the issues involved and what people are saying it's really worth watching because there isn't any treatment available basically uh, there's no replacement therapy for methamphetamine or for no. ice dependency and that's an issue in itself but women and pregnancy is a really big issue in, as far as drug use is concerned They are blamed left, right and centre for using drugs and yet the background for many women using drugs is often one of violence, sexual assault and, you know, just trauma through and through. There's context to the story. That's right. So when Bryce is busy talking about blaming his parents for their behaviour, he fails to recognise that perhaps in their backgrounds they have the same issues, but perhaps it's related to alcohol, not, you know, not the methamphetamines that he was exposed to. So it it is an issue and it's worth, but it's certainly worth discussing and debating and it's a problem. Women are seen as vehicles for, the, for citizens of the future, not as individuals, as people in themselves, mm-hmm. as vehicles for babies. Look after the baby. Don't worry about the woman. Bring in the next generation of That's workers right. and yeah. taxpaying citizens, yeah. All right, I've uh, picked out a song which is very appropriate. Which it's should take <coughs> us up to the news, you think? Take us up to the news. It's Methamphetamine Blues by yeah. Mark Lanigan Band. And thanks to Jason for recommending it.
Okay, um, this piece actually goes to uh, a report by a former methadone clinic director who has um, basically come out, well, slamming the culture of cruelty is the way it's put. It's by Helen Redmond, August the 7th, 2023, Filter Mag. One of the most intriguing emails I've ever received hit my inbox in 2021. This, in part, is how it went. Hi, Helen. My name's Janet Erdahl, and I'm also an LCSW. I'm not sure what that is. I'm a native New Yorker, but have relocated. My current position is as executive director of a methadone clinic. This is my first experience working inside a methadone clinic, although I've been in the field for 40 years. I recently came across your article in Filter regarding the loosening of methadone take-home dose regulations, and I support what you're saying 100%. I'm about to do some advocating for these patients, and I would appreciate some pointers on what has already been learned or what I perceive as the exploitation of methadone clients related to the ridiculous rules and regulations around them receiving what is essentially life or death medication. To me, the only ones who benefit from these rules are the folks who own the clinics. Of course, in the US, it's um, very heavily profit-driven uh, driven, yeah, mm. incentive. Um, they're out to, to make a buck, essentially. Um, I would enjoy speaking to you directly uh, to at least get connected to some, to some resources to help on this journey. I'm beginning. What? The executive director of a methadone clinic agrees with me? She and I began to talk regularly about what she observed in the opioid treatment program or OTP. For me, it was a window into a hidden world. I finally met Erdal when my co-filmmaker, Marilena Marchetti, and I interviewed her in a hotel in New York City. Turns out Erdal's journey of running uh, an OTP was so horrifyingly stressful, so antithetical to her social work values, that she resigned within six months. So, geez, it must have been pretty... Uh, grim yep. working conditions. Um, she was hired by the clinic owner. She told us to clean up the mess left by three three previous directors. Right, which should be a, a the alarm The last bell. one taken out in handcuffs, yeah? Yes, the last one taken out in handcuffs. The ATP was out of compliance with numerous state and federal, federal regulations and risked losing his licence. Right away, Erdahl had to confront the culture of cruelty that pervades methadone clinics. She insisted that all staff treat clients with dignity and respect. She ended Saturday doing so, uh, doing so patients could dosing get... Dosing patient. Dosing. Oh, so. She ended Saturday dosing so patients could get take-a-homes instead of having to attend on weekends. The clinic lost $16,000 a month. That's when the trouble started. Against uh, opposition from staff, Erdahl opened the clinic at 4am to learn from patients about their experiences, bringing coffee and donuts. Yeah, Close, that would have been a surprise in itself, bringing oh, coffee and donuts absolutely. by a director. Yeah. Must have been stunned. That first hour before the pumps got open, I sat and I just chatted with everyone. And look, this sounds like a woman who really needs to be respected. She soon found out that patients were afraid of the nurses and counsellors. Does this uh, reflect, you know, does it resound with other people, in the, particularly in Canberra, even though it's not profit-driven? The issues are much the same, my belief is. I think there's some sim similarities, especially Indeed. in other jurisdictions. Like 
She soon found out, anyway, found out that they were afraid of the nurses and counsellors because of the power and control they wielded. She's quoted as saying, I hate coming, or one person said, I hated coming here. I hate talking to my counsellor because if I don't come, she'll call my probation officer, one person told her. Appalled by the massive power imbalance, Erdahl rapidly came to understand, as she put it, that you, quote, can cite a client for almost anything and cut back on their methadone or take it away. Wow. She then learned that counsellors had told patients they were not allowed to speak with her. With her. Erdahl is a trained therapist, so she saw the professionalism of counselling staff as a priority, of counselling staff as a priority. She told us how she discovered that, quote, I hate one, I hate coming here. I don't know why they hired me. One counsellor with a resume showing zero experience of providing therapy, told Erdahl. She also found out that counsellors regularly contacted probation officers and child welfare authorities if a client was late for an appointment, even just 10 minutes late. As Erdahl explained, nurses had the most power in an OTP because without them running the pumps, there's no clinic. Erdahl witnessed names nurses yelling at patients and threatening to take away their methadone. Ouch. One nurse refused to give a patient medication and ordered, go sit in the hallway. Like being punished by a teacher, yeah? <laughs> she couldn't believe the level of hostility the nurses openly displayed towards patients. Punishment and humiliation had become normalised. Erdahl wouldn't allow this toxic environment to continue under her leadership, so a power struggle ensued. Then the nurses started to quit. Erdahl resigned. I couldn't do it anymore, she said. I had to leave, and a lot of it had to do with the nurses. I was afraid what was happening was what was happening in the clinic, of, about what was happening in the clinic, and I didn't want to make any decisions where the clients would have to pay the price. You can watch parts of our interview in the video above. There's obviously a video to go, to go with it. I learned three important lessons from Erdahl's dystopian experience. It's all about the profits, not people's health. And, quote, I was afraid about what was happening in the clinic and I didn't want to make any decisions where the clients would have to pay the price. Her empathy and social work ethics grounded in self-determination and the inherent dignity and worth of every person were no, no match for the deeply embedded culture of cruelty. And it's not possible to reform this sick system. The only solution is clinic abolition. Helen Redmond, Helen is Filter's senior editor and multimedia on the methadone vaping and nicotine train, Helen is also a filmmaker. Her two documentaries about methadone are Liquid Handcuffs and Swallow This. As an LCS, which I think is a local community social worker, I'm not sure, LCSW, she has worked with people who use drugs for over two decades. Helen is just uh, is an adjunct assistant professor and teaches a course about the war on drugs at New York University. She lives in Harlem. 
way lucky to go to a clinic where she was um, Yes, where she was in charge. Look, it's actually frightening, but the power imbalance certainly resonates with me, the different... And the fact that the nurses have the power is same here. It's really not much different, except that here we're talking often about chemists rather than the nurses, but in the government-run clinics, the ones at the hospital, the nurses actually have the power. And we also have karma and consumer reps on OTAC. That's right, and and we have advocates. So if you're having problems with your uh, opiate replacement therapy program, if you need someone to go with you and advocate on your behalf or just as a witness to the interaction between you and your OTP provider, do that. Someone will go with you and they can witness the interaction and if it's cruel or if it's inhuman or if it is demonstrably stigmatised and they are discriminating against you, you will have a witness to that treatment and then grounds for complaint because otherwise it's just he said, he said, she said stuff. But a witness is a really important thing to have. An advocate is really supportive and useful. It's a huge help. And I think um, Karma's played a big role in helping make the ACT, even before these federal changes of making um, methadone just another PBS prescription, which is long overdue. Yeah, great sympathy and great support of... uh, the uh, availability of the executive officer of Karma on that uh, opioid replacement therapy committee. Um, but the important thing is that when it comes down to service provision, what happens between provider and consumer is, as I said, he said, she said. So it, what may be a policy as far as the committee is concerned doesn't necessarily translate into action Mm. at the service provision or at the opioid replacement therapy shop front. Well, again, a lot of it depends on the integrity and ethics of the owner. That's right. Um, And that can vary. And if you have to look at the uh, argument right at the moment between pharmacists and the government about the provision of, about not charging for methadone Uh, or putting it on the pharmaceutical benefit scheme, yeah? yeah? Yep, yep. Don't don't like change. No, and don't want to lose the money that they're making. Yeah. So it still is an issue, even though they don't charge as much in Australia. They could if they wanted to, except that the new laws in putting it into the pharmaceutical benefits scheme will reduce that amount that they can actually charge. So I think that's really important to note. As much as this may seem like a New York-specific activity, it isn't. Oh, no, the same issues uh, apply just look Anywhere. at the just look at the volume enhancement program. Yes, the fact of putting biodone, which is meant to be an injectable form of methadone, was uh, devised so that it would not be poisonous, like the caramel coloured one was, um, and now is multiplied in in volume three or four times because the pharmacists have decided that's a Fair enough, I thing to do. Well, it was actually and done we can't by. can't complain about that. One pharmacist unilaterally, yeah. Without cons- and now it's consultation. It's done, and now it's being done by everyone. Years. Yeah, yeah, it's been. Yeah. And it's taken as normal. And I just, I mean, I'm not on methadone, so I can afford to complain about it. But because I just think it's unreasonable, and it's wrong. 
Well, hopefully it's a lesson that can be learned that any major change requires uh, OTAC interaction because we've got three karma reps and two consumer reps yes. on the committee. So there's a decent representation um, from the consumer side of things, which is as it should be. And the decisions that they are making at that level are really important, but are they being translated into action at the provision level? And that's what's, for me, that's what makes a huge difference. You can certainly make any decision you like, and it may sound good, it may look good, but does it translate into action mm. over the counter? Yeah. Well, I definitely have fewer complaints than back in the early days when I first arrived at Karma. Not that there aren't I'm sure some. there are. I mean, the thing that gets me is after all the effort to get a Northside dosing clinic and, um, you know, long drawn-out fit-outs and Chris and I went down there a lot to work out how best to architecturally set up the space and, you know, and it only operated for a matter of weeks before they said, oh, COVID has to close and... It's not been reopened not be, since? been reopened, Damn. which is really unfair for people that live this side of town. It's crazy, isn't but, it? But, um, yeah, no, you make some good points. Okay, I thought I'd play, we haven't played this for ages, um, bit of a tongue-in-cheek classic, uh, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll. About Ian Jury and the Ian Rockets. Jury, yeah. exactly. And rock and roll is all my brain and body need. Sex and drugs and rock and roll is very good indeed. Keep your silly ways or throw them out the window. The wisdom of your ways, I've been there and I know lots of other ways. What a jolly bad show If all you ever do Is business You don't like Sex and drugs and rock and roll Sex and drugs and rock and roll Sex and drugs and rock and roll Is very good indeed Every bit of clothing Ought to make you pretty Clothing, grey is such a pity. I should wear the clothing of Mr. Walter Mitty. See my tailor, he's called Simon. I know it's going to fit. Here's a little bit of advice. You're quite welcome. It is free. Don't do nothing that is cutless. You know what that'll make you be. They will try their tricky device, trap you with the ordinary. Get your teeth into a small slice, the cake of liberty.
All right, it's 21 minutes after 11 o'clock on 2XXFM, People Powered Radio, 98.3, and this is Studio One, and you're listening to News on the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion. We had some fee- uh, feedback on what the yeah, acronym thank you, Jack. LCSW stood for, and uh, what was it? Licensed Clinical Social Worker. You were close. Yeah, I you was had the social close. Worker yeah, I had the in. social worker, right, but licensed clinical social worker, so the point is basically that she's trained to do um, some kind of counselling and to, she's been licensed to do it, you know, in a clinical setting. So her knowledge of the clientele that she was dealing with is, you know, higher than that of nurses and so she knows better than to enter, like to create and tolerate that power imbalance. Yeah, I admire her integrity more than her um, Absolutely. qualifications. Look, just as a comparison, we talk about can test um, all the time here, which I think is one of the great initiatives the we've had. The drug checking, yep. Drug checking system, it's sadly only open six hours a week, um, but it's developing a database. But it is open and it's going to be open for a further 18 months. Its yeah. funding has been extended, which is good. Really good. Yeah. And um, it's got the state-of-the-art equipment. Yep, and it's anonymous and you can go in and get your drugs checked but there are only certain hours of the week on Thursday and Friday, Thursday afternoon and Friday evening that you can get it done. But it's on level one of uh, ACT Health Service Building on the corner of uh, Moore and Linga Street. Yeah, Yeah. but it's it's a huge improvement. Okay, just by way of comparison, people be aware of Vancouver has been like... We talk about quite a bit, yeah. um, Epicentre of... uh, People's anger at the carnage created by the fentanyl um, overdose, the numbers in particular, it, made driving people. And the fact that, Jeffrey, I keep on thinking back to your friend that was at, at a uh, conference and who went at lunchtime, I think, yeah. to have a shot and died. And this was at a harm reduction uh, convention at yeah. a, a, a yep. conference, and he went, had a shot. Um, uh, but was an advocate for peer education, which meant that he was clearly a drug user but felt he could not do it publicly, mm-hmm. so was alone, and because he shot up alone, he overdosed and died in the middle of the conference. It's just one story about the power uh, yeah, of stigma. Uh, but yeah. it's just such a huge... I mean, that just for me was a huge, you know, big flat red flag to say even... With the harm reduction, peer education, we still have problems with coming out as drug users. Yep, thank you, Prohibition. Okay, yeah. uh, this is a story from Vancouver. Drug checking is a harm reduction service that allows people to determine what is in their substances and potentially take action to reduce the risk of any associated harms. In collaboration with community partners, free anonymous drug checking services are available in Vancouver and communities across Vancouver Coastal Health. I don't know Vancouver that well, but there's quite a number of places that they list as having this service. They do, yeah. Where to access drug checking services? You can test your your substances in multiple ways, either through on-site or take-home fentanyl strips, test strips, or by visiting a technician using an FTIR spectrometer. Mm. You can access drug checking services at all overdose prevention and supervised consumption sites and through Get Your Drugs Tested or in, in Vancouver or by mail. So remember, this is in Canada, not here. So I suppose it's the same idea. They've just a little more advanced and a little more angry because of the carnage. 
Um, they've got a, a little video that goes through ha- how it's done with a technician. Yeah, um, and shows a picture of a fentanyl d- drug checking kit. Yep. And the, uh, it says resources, fentanyl drug checking trip, uh, strip instructions. You can download that uh, that uh, video. Um, so the FTIR spectrometer and technician is a de- uh, the FTIR spectrometer is a device that's able to provide you with more detailed drug checking information than a fentanyl test strip, and that's important because well, fentanyl, of course, has been the one that's been providing most of the overdose deaths. But we in in Canberra are much more interested in, in the entire range of drugs and what is in. Things like what you expect to have in MDMA or in your Lyrica or whatever drugs you have, illicit or illicit, I might add, take them in and get them checked. Um, FTIR technicians provide drug checking services at uh, many places from 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. Um, you can get your drugs tested every day from 12 to 8pm at East Hastings. See, those hours are a lot more yeah, user-friendly, mu- I think. Yeah, um, very widely available. Uh, the take-home... Uh, the fact that you can get ta- take-home fentanyl test strips and you can get them by mail is really interesting too. Um, a fentanyl test strip so it helps to identify whether or not there's fentanyl in your drug. These strips are also labelled with how-to instructions for people to refer to. Please note there are limited qualities, quantities of strips available any per any yeah, visit. That's no surprise. Um, anyway, there are plenty of places that are identified in yeah, Vancouver. They've done well. Uh, So there's quite a few of them. Toxic drug and health alerts, which we also have here. Send and receive toxic drug and health alerts by text. Toxic drug and health alerts is a free real-time text messaging service for anyone to receive toxic drug alerts or share information about toxic drugs in their community. This service is anonymous. People can get other information by text message, like where to find naloxone or how to get drugs tested. This is in Vancouver still. Toxic drug and health alerts are currently available in the interior, Fraser, Northern Vancouver, etc. Well, that's definitely an expansion of uh, hours and locations, which it is, is it? good. Well, not only that, it's just good to know that they've got them available in Vancouver too. It's um, interesting that they seem to concentrate a lot on fentanyl, um, which is causing the majority of overdose deaths, I guess, in, in Canada. But it's... Uh, yeah, I'm, but I'm very pleased that in terms of what's available there, our drug checking service seems to be more widely um, interested in, in what types of drugs people are using and what's Since also in their drugs. A wider capacity to test um, everything but plant material. Yes. By, by the look of it. Okay, is it uh, Words of Love? Is that the track you're looking That's for? That's the one. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let's hope I can get it. Uh, Mamas and the Papas. This is uh, Marion's check. One of Marion's oh, one, Yeah, of yeah. this <laughs> double album, which I mucked up From last Mamas week. From Mamas and Papas, yeah. Not his fault, though. I have to tell you that the it's a, a gold disc and the colour of disc one on the disc is actually the same colour as the interior of the disc itself. Very so kind. So it's very hard to see. Mamas and the Papas. 
She had a big voice, didn't she, Mama Cass? She sure did. And that was Mamas and the Papas and Words of Love. Yes. Now, this story, um, look, we come across some interesting stories, shall we put it, week in, week out. But this one's really fascinating, this mushroom poisoning story um, oh. from Lee and Gather. And the update from um, ABC News yesterday is Erin Patterson the woman at the centre of suspected Lee and Gather mushroom poisoning gives her account of the fatal meal. <laughs> the, da, 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 da. <laughs> um, the woman who cooked a mushroom meal that is believed to have killed three people says she bought the fungi at a supermarket and also at an Asian grocery store and was herself hospitalised after eating the meal. In a written statement sent to Victoria Police on Friday and obtained exclusively by the ABC, Gippsland woman Erin Patterson has given her first detailed account of what transpired before and after the fatal lunch. Quote, I'm now wanting to clear up the record because I've become extremely stressed and overwhelmed by the deaths of my loved ones, Miss mm. Patterson said. I'm hoping this statement might help in some way. I believe if people understood the background more, they would not be so quick to rush to judgment. Mm. She goes on to say, I'm now devastated to think that these mushrooms may have contributed to the deaths suffered by the lo my loved ones. It's interesting that she's only now devastated. Um, I really want to repeat that I had absolutely no reason to hurt these people whom I loved. Miss Patterson's mother and father-in-law, Don and Gail Patterson, died after eating lunch at Miss Patterson's home in Leon Gartha a south town southeast of Methadone, of Methadone, of <laughs> Melbourne, slip that was, on July 29th. Gail Patterson's sister, Heather Wilkinson, also died and her husband, Ian Wilkinson, was left in a critical condition. Speculation has swirled in the fortnight since the shocking events in the small South Gippsland community and has only intensified as police remain tight-lipped about the status of their investigation. 
Police have said that the people who fell ill and died displayed symptoms of having eaten death-capped mushrooms, and last week Ms Patterson was being treated as a suspect, but that investigators were keeping an open mind. In the statement, Ms Patterson said advice she received immediately after the deaths was to give a no-comment interview to police, which was said, which she said she now regretted. Mm, that's odd. It is. Ms Patterson said she found the police interview, quote, terrifying and anxiety-provoking. Well, you know, show me someone who doesn't fire police interviews. Yeah, it's terrifying an overwhelming... And, yeah, yeah. anxiety-provoking. She said that on day, the day of the lunch, she prepared a meal of beef wellington for herself and her four elderly guests. Contrary to initial reports from police who said Ms Patterson's children were present but did not eat the meal, Ms Patterson said the children had actually gone to the movies prior to lunch. According to her statement, Ms Patterson served the meal and allowed the guests to choose their own plates. She then took the last plate and ate a serve of beef of the beef wellington herself. You don't often hear of people saying, grab the plate. Take whichever plate yeah, you want. looks the best to you. Yeah. Ms Patterson said the mushrooms were a mixture of button mushrooms purchased at a major supermarket chain and dried mushrooms bought at an Asian grocery store in Melbourne months previously. The Patterson children ate the leftovers from the lunch following the, the following night. However, Ms Patterson said the children don't like mushrooms, so she scraped them off the meal. Okay, goes on to say, Ms Patterson said it had not been previously reported that she was also hospitalised after the lunch with bad stomach pains and diarrhoea and was put on a saline drip and given a, quote, liver protective drug. She said she was transported by ambulance from Leangatha Hospital to the Monash Medical Centre in Melbourne on July 31st. The Gippsland Southern Health Service confirmed a fifth person who presented at Leangatha Hospital on July the 30 with suspected food poisoning later returned and was sent to Monash. As her guests fell critically ill, Ms Patterson uh, said she was contacted by the Department of Health and asked what might have caused the violent reaction to the, meat, the meal. She said she preserved what was left of the lunch and gave it to hospital toxicologists for examination. She said she was told investigators from the department where she had bought the, the mushrooms, although was unable to identify the specific shop in Melbourne where she bought the dried fungi. See, that's a bit odd too. Miss mm. Patterson said officials from the department later sent photographs of packs of mushrooms with handwritten labels similar to those she described to them. The ABC has contacted the Department of Health. Ms Patterson also addressed media reports that police were investigating, investigating the deaths um, and had seized a food dehydrator at a local tip, saying that it was hers. Mm. Um, in the statement, Ms Patterson admitted she had lied to investigators when she told them she had dumped it at the tip a long time ago. And so, quote, Ms Patterson said that she was at the hospital with her children discussing the food hydrator when her ex-husband, the son of the dead couple, asked, is that what you used to poison them? Worried that she might lose custody of the couple's children, Miss Patterson said she had then panicked and dumped the dehydrator at the tip. Miss hmm. Patterson alluded to media speculation about the fact that her ex estranged husband, Simon Patterson, re reportedly spent a fortnight in hospital in May last year with a severe stomach illness unrelated to the current illness incident, rather. 
In her statement, Ms Patterson said she reluctantly agreed to nurse Simon uh, to nurse Simon Patterson for three weeks after he was discharged from hospital, before telling him that she didn't want to reconcile with him. Ms Patterson said her estranged husband intended joining the fatal lunch but told her prior to the day that he would not be attending. She paid tribute to her parents-in-law, saying she had been close to them for a long time and had maintained a positive relationship even after her marriage breakdown. It does seem to be quite a number of issues for investigators to look into on this one, Marin. does rather. Uh, concludes, I've been close with Simon's parents for a long period of time. Our relationship had continued in a fairly amicable way after I finished the relationship with their son, Simon. Our relationship was affected to some degree by seeing them less after my marriage breakdown with Simon. However, I've never felt differently toward his parents. I had a deep respect and uh, love for his parents and encouraged encourage my children to spend time with their grandparents as I believe they were exceptional role models. A representative for Simon Patterson declined, declined to comment. Police are continuing their investigation into the deaths and Ms Patterson said she was willing to assist police potentially to the extent of being re-interviewed. Yeah, the interesting thing about this is last week we talked about magic mushrooms and what they might look like and how you might uh, go about collecting them. And the point is, um, and really I think it comes out of this story, that even while you're buying dehydrated mushrooms, you don't know what's in them. Get them tested if you're concerned about them, if you're buying them and they've got a handwritten label on them. Go and get them tested if they can't test them at the drug checking service because I think you said earlier on they can't test um, uh, plant material. material. Is that right? I think think that's right. Okay, so it might be tricky to get the um, mushrooms tested. But um, a few flaws in the overall consistency of the yeah. You, what you find in the majority of supermarkets is they will not be selling you toxic mushrooms. mushrooms. Yeah, they yeah. won't be selling you death cap mushrooms. It, the major problem is when people go fossicking for their own mushrooms, or if they have them, find them growing in the backyard, which happens regularly. I know in Ainsley, where I live, that I've had oodles of mushrooms springing up. From oh, near and apparently, been a great I think year. my friend said last week it's oak trees that are the, the killer. That they're the ones around which um, the mushrooms tend to spring up from. The fungi comes from. So be careful when you're fossicking and finding wild mushrooms. Oh, definitely. The best idea, actually, what I found is if you chuck um, the mushrooms into water and the water goes black. <laughs> That's the magic mushrooms. Well, but they need cow poo. I won't pop down to Lee and go for lunch. You know. Well, you know. not with the Baptist Church anyway. No, that's true. All right, I thought I might play um, the, the classic by Warren Zevon, uh, Carmelita. It's the only story I think I've heard about um, methadone in, in the actual song. But anyway, Warren Zevon, Carmelita. on my radio and the tubes they glow in the dark and I'm there with her in Ensenada and I'm hearing Echo Park Carmelita hold me tighter I think I'm sinking 
It's a beautiful song by Warren Zevon, mm, isn't it? It is. Carmelita. Okay, it's coming up to quarter to 12, and you're with Jeff and Marin in Studio One of uh, People Powered Radio to XFM 98.3 FM. We've got a story um, a bit more local. It's from Hunter Valley. Felicity Fraser sentenced to nine and a half years behind bars over drug importation conspiracy. This is from ABC Newcastle, 11th of August. A New South Wales Hunter Valley horse racing identity has been sentenced to nine and a half years in jail with a five and a half year non-parole period over a cocaine importation conspiracy. Last year, Scone woman Felicity Fraser pleaded guilty to a charge of conspiring to import a commercial quantity of a border-controlled drug over four years between 2017 and 2021. It relates to several shipments from South America that that either contained drugs or were imported under the impression that they contained drugs. Well, who would import something under the impression they contained drugs? It seems a bit odd. Mm. Anyway, Judge Peter McGrath told Newcastle Court that determining a sentence for Fraser was, quote, a very complex exercise. While Fraser was involved, he said her co-accused was really the, co- the conspiracy's leader. Ms. Fraser's, quote, Ms. Fraser's role was not at the top level. This was not a conspiracy of equals, said Judge McGrath. However, he noted that Fraser knowingly engaged with employment after she became aware that drugs were involved in a secretarial-style job that she had undertaken. Judge McGrath said her role was, in fact, important to the conspiracy and she, quote, willingly joined a co-accused in his plan, 
in his plans. Naivety and vulnerabilities. Judge McGrath told the court he believed Fraser did not have a clear view of the impact that cocaine could have on people's lives. He said this was likely due to Fraser's upbringing. And she was naive in herself, yes. Sounds Fraser like had a uh, sheltered upbringing and a life in the upper, upper hunter. I do not discount that she held such naive belief, uh, such 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 a naive belief of the drug. Judge McGrath said, didn't change his mind about the sentence he gave her though. The case was last in court in June where sentencing submissions were heard. Fraser's defence barrister, Lang Goodsell, argued to the court her client had only a small role in the importation and that she was vulnerable at the time due to a marriage breakdown and health issues. She alleged a co-accused had taken advantage of her client's vulnerable state. Judge McGrath referenced this, telling the court a co-accused in the case had engineered a situation where she could not leave. Okay, so the judge knew that. He also told the court it seemed that the co-accused became a trusted friend to Fraser during a vulnerable time of her life. Before her sentence was read out to the court, Fraser cried quietly, wiping away the tears. Her parents were also in the courtroom. Her mother also wiped away tears as her daughter's sentence was read out. Judge McGrath noted Fraser's well-known status in her community in his sentencing remarks. I must impose a sentence on Miss Fraser that will deter others, he said. Fraser's sentence will be backdated to February 15, 2022. Okay, so that's 12 months ago, 18 months ago meaning her sentence will be completed in August 2031. That's a full sentence. Fraser will be eligible parole in 2027. Um, Seems ABC quite a Newcastle. severe penalty for some Five of Five and a half years is a very severe... Well, I mean, it's actually nine and a half years, I think, was yeah. the upper... The sentence of five and a half was the was on the bottom. Yeah, nine and a half on the top and five and a half on the bottom. It's a very severe penalty for somebody who was that naive or allegedly that naive. And the the judge agreed or concurred with the fact that she was naive about it and was in a very vulnerable position. But five and a half years was meant to be a deterrent to others, and we know full well that jail terms deter nothing. Mm. To nobody. They are not a deterrent. They don't operate as a deterrent. But they do operate to say, well, if you're going to do it, you've got to be really, really secretive about it. Tell nobody nothing. Yep. Well, it just sounds like she's yeah, had a pretty stiff sentence thrown her way for what appears to be for actually cooperate, well, well, a secretarial yeah. role with a friend, somebody who had supported her d- during a really tough time and given her a lot of leeway. Yep. And I'm not saying that she's not guilty or that she is guilty. I'm simply saying yep. five and a half years is a bloody rough trot. Yeah. It, well, it, it depends on the judge, doesn't it, what sen- uh, sentence Yes, you get? absolutely. Yeah. And the thing that you were saying, Geoffrey, you know, how do you tell whether something uh, either contained or were imported under the impression that they contained drugs, that really the uh, reality of importation of containers is that some do, some don't mm. contain drugs and that who knows which ones have got um, drugs in them 
except the people who get the direct email saying this yeah. one, pick this one pick or pick that one. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. But that there will be some that are look like they might be containing drugs but don't. All right, I'll play a quick track, The Black Keys, El Camino, and it's a Lonely Boy, and then we'll wrap up the show.
right, that was uh, Lonely Boy and the Black Keys. Okay, um, I've asked Marion to open up this one because it's pretty awful. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't want to read. Mexican national learns fate for smuggling method, uh, meth in, pu- quote, putrid, rotting skin. And this was updated on the 9th of uh, the 5th, 2023. That That's this year. But, in fact, it happened in Melbourne in 2019. Um, a Mexican man was arrested in Melbourne and he will spend more than two decades behind bars for importing meth into the country, concealed inside parcels of rotting skin. Investigators called the smell of the decomposing skin putrid, well, it would be when it was defrosted, and highlighted the, quote, disgusting journey, end quote, imported drugs often take on their way to the consumer. So clearly... That's what the police want to highlight, is the journey in the putrid skin. Uh, the drugs were found in shipping container filled with 18 pallets of frozen, raw and untreated cow skins that were intercepted in Melbourne. It had been sent from Mexico and declared to contain salty bovine skin, Cuervo Verde, Salado de Bovino, and I know Bovino means cow, yeah. apart from that. I don't get it. Salty bovine, which is salty skin, salty cow skin. Um, with the parcels containing rotting skin, 167 silver packages of high-grade crystal meth were uncovered. Quote, investigators responsible for deconstructing the hides described the smell of the rotting skin as putrid. Well, it would do, the Australian Federal Police said. The 668... A kilogram import was estimated by the AFP to be the equivalent of more than 6.6 million individual street deals and would, quote, significantly contribute to the abhorrent harm being inflicted by the Australian community. Nothing sensationalist about the Australian Federal Police, is there? Quote, this is the largest onshore seizure of ice originating from Mexico, the AFP said at the time. A a male Mexican national, now 45, was arrested at St Kilda in 2019 and after a 12-week trial in 2022, a jury in the County Court of Victoria found him guilty of importing a commercial quantity of the border-controlled drugs. Uh, A detective superintendent of the AFP, Anthony Hall, said hiding drugs in untreated cow hides represented a significant biological hazard for officers extracting the methamphetamine. It also demonstrates the unsafe, disgusting journey drugs often take on their way to the consumer. I think that's fair to say. Uh, these organised crime syndicates inflict mental health at uh, human sorry inflict human suffering at all stages of their activities. This occurs at the supply end in Mex- Mexico through the harm suffered by users and their families here in Australia. All right, that's that's the end for shows for this yes. week, and um, we've got. Uh, so we'll end up with that some um, sensationalist piece from the Australian Federal Police. Um, but I think the, the story in that really is that you don't know where things like methamphetamine are coming from. Certainly when you defrost untreated cow hides, they will smell rotten. It will smell rotten. Yeah. But, you know, they had silver packages in, inside them. So, you know, God knows what you take your in chances in methamphetamine. Yeah, get your drugs checked because yep. you can. Yeah, exactly. Can check. Might only be six, six hours a week, but it's there. It's you, there. Use yep. it. And that's important. We'll leave you a bit of the uh, show's theme song, Golden Brown and The Stranglers. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.
texture like sun Lays me down with my mind She runs throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown with golden brown Every time just like the last On her ship tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress through the ages she's heading west From far away, stays for a day Never a frown 